This is Shack Talk, presented by Eskimo Ice Fishing Gear and hosted by Scotty Brewer and Kyle Agri. Turn up your speakers, grab your gear, and hit the ice with us as we talk ice fishing. Hey everybody, welcome to Shack Talk. Scotty Brewer and Kyle Agri of Brewer Agri Outdoors. Come on in, grab a bucket, have a seat. We're going to talk ice fishing. This is brought to you by, as is every Shack Talk, brought to you by Eskimo Ice Fishing Gear. You know, Kyle, it's good that we we seem to be keep getting more and more listeners every episode, which is awesome. Um, for those of you that have never listened to Shack Talk, we do two segments, three segments. We have this opening one, then we do two additional segments, one with tip and tactics and one with the location and a destination. Um, and you can go back and you can listen to past seasons. This is our third season now. You can listen to some of them, some of the other destinations we've had, listen to a bunch of the tips and tactics. Um, but And we'll get to that here in a minute. But one thing, Kyle, I wanted to talk about here for a minute is – it's like getting to be a little bit later in the season now. And let's talk about ice augers. Traditionally, this is the time of year that everybody feels they have to have a gas ice auger. It is cold out. The ice is thick. I need that power. I need the gas because I need it to start. And you know what? That's not the case. That is not the case. The ION has made sure that the battery operated augers have really come out to the forefront. There's a lot of them out there now. Um, the K drill has been around for a few years. Now the Eskimo pistol bit, I must say that I'm kind of been kind of naive to that style of an auger until this year. And that pistol bit, holy cow, that thing has like taken the ice world by storm and it's not too late. You can, it's still the perfect auger to use now when it's cold with a lot of ice. You're exactly right, Scott. You know, some of the advantages to the uh, non-traditional two-cycle mixed gas type augers, you look at electric, like you mentioned, the ion, the pistol bit, um, you look at the propane as another kind of an alternative. And both of them, both of those options, you, you minimal fumes, minimal exhaust, um, very easy to use. They're, they provide all the power you need. They're, they're clean. You're, you're not worrying about mixing gas, spilling gas, any of that other stuff. And it's, uh, it's a convenience factor. And I think a lot of ice anglers nowadays are really becoming accustomed as in that's the standard to be able to have an auger and use it and not have to stand and, and flush out your ice house for 10, 15, 20 minutes, uh, before you can go in there and, and not have your eyes be burning. And having something light and easy to use, and like you said, convenience is huge. There's there's, there's nothing wrong with the gas ice, gas ice auger. They've been around for a long time, and they are amazing, but they are not the only option. You're, you're right. And here's the one thing that, that folks so often will say, what about this time of the year when it gets so cold? And, and you kind of brought this up and alluded to it, and what, what do you do when it's, when it's this cold? Well, whether it's propane, whether it's electric, um, it's no different than your Vexilar, right? You take your battery, you take your Vexilar into the lodge, into the cabin, into your home. After you've spent a day on the ice, you hook it up to a charger, you let it warm up, you let it dry off, and you're good to go the next morning. Kind of the same thing 
right? With with an ion, I, I've seen you do it. You pull the battery, you bring it inside. With the, the pistol, you grab your drill batteries, you bring them inside, and you set them on the charger. If it's uh, if it's a P1 or an HC40 or a, or a, some type of propane auger, um, and that's that's an auger that I use very frequently, you pull those little canisters, those little propane bottles out, and you bring them inside with you. It's super easy, and you do those little things like that and and the cold weather is not going to be an issue. It is easy and it and it's different which is I think one of the reasons why it's taken so long uh, for a lot of the stuff to kind of become mainstream is because of that because it is different. A, a lot of the old standard uh, gas auger guys go, "Well, I don't want to have to mess around with other stuff." Well, guess what? What happens if you have a gas auger and you don't mess around and put oil in the gas? Hmm. What's going to happen to your gas auger? You still have to mess around with it. You still have to make sure you put stable in it at the end of the year and, and get your carburetors cleaned out. I don't care what auger you have, there's things that you have to do to it to make sure it is going to stay running and stay running properly. And the battery augers are really just making it that much easier for everybody. It, it really is. Yeah, the, the, the guys or gals that tell you that they just throw their auger in the back of their truck leave it outside when it's 30 below. They don't do anything to it. It runs every time. Um, and I'm not not saying that can't happen, but for most of us, and, and I'm speaking from experience myself, um, I've been in enough situations where it's been cold or I haven't taken the steps necessary. Those Those routine maintenance, doing the little things, paying attention to details, um, making sure your equipment is prepped before you leave home, making sure it's all in good working order. All of that stuff adds up and it adds up to a successful outing, a successful trip and and more fun while you're out on the ice. Very much so. So why is all of this pertinent to today's podcast? It's pertinent for a couple of reasons. Our first segment, tip and tactic segment, we're going to chat with Jesse Tintus of Tintus Outdoors, and we're going to talk about wheelhouse tactics. There's a lot of people that um, are using wheelhouses nowadays for so many different things. They're using them for winter camping on the lake, taking them out for weekends here and there. A lot of people set them up someplace on a lake, and they'll leave it there the whole the whole season. But battery-operated augers are very, very handy for wheelhouses. They keep all those fumes out of the inside of the fish house. It just makes them so much nicer. It's a great option. If you're a wheelhouse guy, think about a battery-operated auger. Even even the propane ones do make it better, but you're still burning something. You're still putting carbon monoxide into the air. And in the other segment, our, our location destination segment, we're going to chat with Eric Osberg about Ottertail County, and we're mainly going to talk panfish. And if you want to go out and chase a bunch of panfish, there's nothing better than a 6-inch or an 8-inch pistol bit or an ion or any of these battery-operated ones because they're so light. You can move quick. You can move fast. You can cover a lot of ground. It's a perfect segue to today's show. It should be a great, great show. Stick around, and we're going to have some more Shack Talk. Introducing an entirely new class of ice augers, the gas-powered F1 and propane-powered P1 rocket augers from Eskimo. These ultra-lightweight augers run fast, spin fast, and cut fast, thanks to their performance-tuned engines, high-speed transmissions, and all-new cast bottoms. All Eskimo power augers feature an industry-leading five-year warranty. 
Get assurance. Get reliability. Get Eskimo. Learn more at GetEskimo.com. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Shack Talk. Episode 2, this is our tip and tactic segment, and we're going to chat with Mr. Jesse Tintus of Tintus Outdoors and Fish Addictions TV. And uh, Jesse is very well-rounded in many, many different things. One of them is hard houses. Jesse has a permanent fish house. We'll find out. Uh, I don't know if we'll talk brands or not, but maybe we will. It doesn't really matter. Um, the goal here is to talk about permanent fish houses, uh, whether they're on wheels, whether it's a skid house, just something that uh, is going to give you a little more protection from the weather, something you may want to sleep in. Uh, those options are available, cook in, that kind of thing. And we want to find out some of the advantages, disadvantages of hard houses. How are you doing, Jesse? Very good. Uh you know, talk about advantages and disadvantages. Right now, it's really cold out. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. it's nice having the hard house option some nights. <laughs> it, it is very cold out. And uh, yeah, and, and honestly, that's probably one of the best advantages of a hard house is protection from the elements. Yeah, it, a good example is the, the big snowstorm right after Christmas. We, uh, we were out on the lake, we got almost two feet of snow, and we spent uh, three nights out in the fish house, um, catching fish. We didn't have to leave because we were able to, to be under protection. You know, we, we, we were, we, we were, uh, living, living it rough out there because, you know, we had the generator, <laughs> the satellite television, you know, all, you know, the, the bathroom. So it was, we were roughing it pretty hard. So. Jesse, as you're talking about heating in a, in a wheelhouse, in a permanent house, a skid house, um, those of us who fish portables, you know, we're going to carry along our buddy heater or our Mr. Heater, and, uh, we're going to, we're going to fuel that with propane. You mentioned a generator. Um, when, when you're talking a permanent house, are you heating that with electric with that generator or are you also burning propane and, and maybe what kind of heater do you use in, in your particular model? So in, in my model, and a lot, of, a lot of the models, like I have an ice castle, but a lot of the brands are similar. They're using forced air furnaces in them now. Oh, wow. So it's, a, it's, it's like a camper. You know, it's like a camper furnace is what it is. So I don't know if it's like 30,000 BTU or something like that. And that then is, is a, it does require some power to ignite and what have you, but it runs off of the, 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 uh, your tanks, you, you know, like your, like your standard grill tanks, but they're a little bit bigger for a, a fish house because you're uh you're obviously using more if you're doing some heating so um electricity like i said used for igniting and what have you uh, the reason we use our gen our generators to to keep that battery charged for your furnace so your furnace always is you know ready to go and then there's lights another thing as well too and like i mentioned you gotta have the tv in case fishing gets slow <laughs> gotta gotta have the generator for the big screen tv kind of sounds to me like you're fishing in your living room i mean it's i think in a lot of these a, a lot of the you know and it, the brand really doesn't matter there are so many of them out there um ice castle i think is by far the biggest most popular but there's there's a lot of them yetis glaciers um they you know they're all over the place but one of the yep. biggest draws is they are so nice i mean you go in there you take your shoes off and and you're walking around on carpet and it's warm in there and and you can pretty much just enjoy your entire weekend without having to step outside well you know brandy and i we we, we did the pros and cons when we decided to buy a hard-sided fish house because we love i love to run and gun i love to go when i'm out on the ice but you know uh, when our family goes out, it's kind of nice to all get together. The, the thing is, it's, they're versatile. 
and they're they're set up now where we we use ours all year round it actually has an air conditioner on top of it as well too so we've gone on some fishing trips in the summertime and used them so you're not just buying it to use it for two or three months a year anymore when you're doing this you're buying it and setting it up so you can use it you know 12 months of the year if you want to that is really cool. Jesse, you brought up a topic that, that was in my mind as we were looking at this topic, as we were kind of beginning our conversation. You said you like to run and gun. Now, I know that you own uh, an ice castle, but you also own portable uh, a portable shack as well. Why would someone want to use both? Why do you have to uh, look at that and say, uh, you know, if I'm going to have that hard house, that wheelhouse, I should also have a portable? You know, a lot of times, you know, if, if you're going to do a destination trip or something with the family, if you're going to go spend multiple nights, you don't want to go to a hotel. Um, what we do is we, we actually, we, we always have portable fish houses with us. So we'll set that up as our base camp. And we'll go to, it could be Lake of the Woods, it could be Mille Lacs, it could be local lake around here. Actually, tonight we're going out, we're going to have the hard side of fish house out. We're going to be running around doing some different things. And it allows us to kind of have a base. You can go there, you, can, you know, get out of the elements, you know, you can go in there and you have supper. You know, we have a pizzazz in it, so we'll make a pizza. Um, so, you, you know, it's kind of versatile. We'll use both for, for the different options. Yep, yep. And and that's a great point. It it all depends on what you want to do, and, and everybody's different. Some days you might want to be out in that hard house, um, and you might be on a spot where, you, where you're getting fish all day. But I think quite often most people are probably going to set, set up that house in a spot where – they got a good twilight, either early morning or late evening bite, and then uh, that's where their house is going to be. Then during the day, they'll take their portables out and they'll run around during the day, whether it's you know chasing panfish or or chasing walleyes up on the reefs or or something like that. So having that one-two punch is kind of important, you know. And it sounds like you take your family out quite often. Is that right? Correct. Yep. Which I think is a, one of the huge advantages of having a hard side house is you can get your family out there pretty much no matter what the conditions are you know if you're going to plan a weekend on the lake let's say you're going to plan something two or three weeks out you don't know what the weather's going to be like and if you're going to be taking taking your wife out or taking your kids out or other people that don't fish a lot and the weather uh as the weather tends to do in the winter time where uh you might not have the best conditions you can still go out there and everybody can have a good time everybody can still enjoy it and you don't have to worry about the wind blowing 40 miles an hour or whether or not it's snowing and cold and all that it, it's such a great equalizer where it kind of takes the weather out of the equation it, it really does and, and so that's what it's kind of nice having both options a lot of people say well what about what happens if we get two feet of snow well when you're going on these big trips if it's malax if it's lake of the woods red lake we just were, we were in Red Lake uh, earlier this month. We went out of a resort. The resorts have roads plowed. And actually, that event there, we used hard houses. So we, we use hard houses for veterans' events. We used a hard house for that, for that event because we, we hosted a veteran up on Red Lake, was came in our house and, and hadn't done a lot of ice fishing before and was able to spend the weekend and actually get some ice fishing in. Um, so we used a hard house for that, went out of a resort, plowed roads and everything. Uh, the next couple of weeks, we're going to be working on using the hard house and our portables because we'll be hosting, you know, 18 families, but we're going to have that headquarters of our hard house in the middle where people will be able to come in and do different things as well, too. So it's a lot of fun. Jesse, as you look, obviously, these uh, these hard-sided fish houses um, weigh considerably uh, much more than uh, a portable shelter. 
And so as we talk ice safety, we are always talking ice safety at the beginning of the year. We're talking about being careful, being certain that you have enough ice, that you have uh, good safe ice. What are the, the safety thoughts or the safety precautions you might have with a, with a hard-sided house? Well, it, it's, you know, you, you, you figure out what that safety number is. If it's 14 inches or whatever it is, it's different. Some people, have, these hard houses, excuse me, we haven't talked about this a lot. These hard houses go from a, a skid house, which could be six, eight feet long, to I've seen them 30-some foot long. So based off of your, your size and the weight and axles of your fish house, you figure out what, that's, what that number is of how many inches of ice you want to bring it out on, what's recommended, and then you stick to it. I know people get really excited and they want to get out earlier and earlier, and they're going to chant it. You don't want to chant it. Find that ice. You know, we, we, we won't take our ice castle out unless there's 14 inches of ice. Because you got to remember, you have your ice, your, your fish house, your hard-sided fish house, okay, and your pickup. And right. so you want to you be smart. You're not just bringing a fish house out there. You're not just bringing a pickup out there. You're bringing your hard-sided fish house. You're bringing both. You have people with you. So you really got to pay attention. Safety is, you know, we, we talk about safety all the time, but if there's a way to do it, we're even more safe when we bring the hard side of fish houses out because, you know, you have a lot of money invested in it as well, too. You're exactly you want to make right. Sure you're, you're safe and you want to protect your investment. And and early in the season when you don't have enough ice to support that, that hard-sided house, that's when you take your portable out. That's when you walk out, you take the ATV or the snowmobile, and you still have that shelter to, to fish out of. And uh, and you can then, in that case, be patient and, and wait for the, the proper amount of ice. Yeah, you think about a lot of the resorts. I'm going to use Red Lake as, as an example. Early in the season, when they only have foot traffic, they have spots opened up. So you can bring your hard-sided fish house up there, park it in kind of a campground-type atmosphere, and you can walk out and fish, fish during the day mm-hmm. You know, on that ice where you're waiting for it to get, uh, waiting for it to get thick enough to actually uh, you know, bring it out with a truck or a wheeler. You know, that, and, you know, that's a great point. And like you had said, you use yours in the summertime too. And there's just so many options, so many things you can use these for. Um, I know guys that use them as storage sheds at their lake place, you know, they'll have like a big toy hauler fish house and they'll, they'll use it for storing stuff all summer long or, or they use it for camping in or use it going to, uh, you know, the big music festivals in the summertime. I mean, you go to Wee Fest <laughs> in Minnesota and it's all fish houses because that's what yeah. they use for their campers. You know, they go camping once or twice a year and that's what they use. And there are so many advantages to these types of fish houses. We just don't want people to overlook it and say, well, that's not really fishing. Well, you know, it is really fishing. It's just a little bit different style fishing. It can be. It's like fishing on a pontoon. I mean, if you're a summer guy and, and you've got this big walleye boat, that doesn't mean you can't go out and fish on a pontoon. Sure you can. It's just different. you got to do it differently, and there's a different different reason for it. So. Speaking of... Yeah. of you know, so, sorry to interrupt, Jesse, but I, I just Scott mentioned that there's things you have to do to do it differently. What are the, what are the things that uh, people who might be considering a hard-sided house need to keep in mind in terms of maintenance in terms of can i leave it out on the ice how long can i leave it out there um what are some of those details that that you know us that that don't own that style of of fish house might not be aware of you know it's pretty simple they're they're, they're you know all the brands are the same you know you're going to have grease jerks that you're going to want to take care of you want to check your tires um you're going to want to check your state regulations 
Um, I believe in Minnesota, you have to have tow mirrors if you're going to be pulling a hard-sided fish house. So check your regulations, um, standard maintenance, your tire pressure. Uh, you know, one of the key things that I found out is, is deadbolt your door because you're going down the road. You don't want your door to pop open. Um, so, you know, there, there's, there, there's some, some minimum things you got to do. People, a lot of people that, that, uh, that have got into uh, the hard side of fish also have done some camping. So it's, it's pretty similar to that, except for you don't deal with water as much in the wintertime. What we have is we have a dry flush toilet. So it still flushes and everything, but it's this dry flush system that puts everything into this bag and, and basically uh, into this container. So, you know, my, minus the uh, the water, there's a little bit of maintenance, obviously, uh, uh, taking out the bag at the, at the end. But uh, um, there's, there's a lot of things. You know, one of the misconceptions with hard-sided fish houses is, you know, you, you got to drill your holes and then and the, the gas smell and all that. Well, technology's changed so much over the years. We have a propane auger and we have an... A, uh, you know, an Eskimo, and then we actually switched last year to a 10-inch Ion X because Ion came out with the 10-inch, and we love it. And the reason we switched to a 10-inch and the Ion X is there's no residual, there's no fumes, there's no smell, there's no nothing. But also, if you're going to go sit out there for a night, two nights, three nights, and it's really cold, we drill 10-inch holes because that allows our holes to stay open longer. Because when you're out there, holes are going to start to creep in a little bit on you, and uh, it just makes everything more enjoyable. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I know a lot of guys, uh, you know, permanent house guys are are really big into the 10-inch augers. And that that is a great, great, great reason why. Because if you're going to be out there for 24 hours or longer, um, those holes after a day and a half that or two days, that 10-inch hole might be down to an 8-inch hole, which in my opinion, an 8-inch hole is more than plenty. And that's usually what I use. But if you're going to be out there for a long time, you need to allow for that freezing on the sides and and be ready for that. You know, and, and as far as the fishing fishing out of one, um, it's very similar. Uh, there, It seems like there's a little bit of, you know, a lot of people like to use rattle reels and things like that because sometimes when you're in a hard house, you're not always out there hard, you know, just doing serious fishing. But, uh, you know, it's... Uh, there's a lot of different things that you can do when you're out there. So you want to, you want to always be ready, uh, and have lines down, but still be able to go cook or still be able to play cards and do all that kind of stuff where you're not always jigging. So, um, but if you want to do that too, where you're just the jigging guy, where that's all you want to do out there, you can do that too. You know, that just, it just opens up your options so much. You're right, Scott. And you know, what's really interesting is to see how the industry has built uh, all of these specialized products for the wheelhouses, for the skid houses. You've got catch cover. They're making uh, those rattle reels you talked about, the the, the hole covers. And, and there's just a whole industry built around this specific type of fishing situation. Yeah, there most certainly is. And uh, anybody that has been out in one, you know, you see these products and you see it out there and it really is a very, very popular part of the ice fishing world. Uh, don't take it for granted. Don't look down on it. I mean, that's, there's a heck of a lot of advantages to having a hard house as, uh, Jesse was able to point out to us, Jesse, thanks a lot for coming on. We really appreciate you uh, taking some time and talking to our shack talk listeners. Yeah, thanks a lot, guys. Uh, look forward to spending some time on the ice with you guys this winter. Yes, that would be a lot of fun. And uh, I actually wouldn't mind uh, spending some of that time in that ice castle that you're talking about and, 
because I don't get a chance to do enough of that where we can just kick back and relax and do some serious fishing when we want and then do a little um, not serious fishing when we want also. But, yeah, I look forward to it. Thanks a lot. We appreciate you coming on. And uh, stick around because we're going to have another section, another uh, location, destination segment coming up here shortly on Shack Talk. For the past half decade, ION has been the best-selling and highest-rated electric auger on the ice. It was also the first high-performance ice auger powered by lithium-ion technology. No other electric ice auger shreds faster, cuts smoother, or drills through more ice on a single charge. Whether re-drilling old frozen holes in your shack or running and gunning across the lake, ION is the perfect auger for you. Trust the proven performance of ION and make the switch to electric this ice fishing season. Visit us at ioniceaugers.com. Welcome back to the third and final segment of today's Shack Talk. Uh, thanks, folks, for sticking around. I, I am excited for this segment as we look at our location and destination. We want to welcome uh, a special guest here today, Walleye Will Pappenfuss. He is a, a Fish Addictions Pro Staffer, an Eskimo Pro Staffer. He is a, a native of northern Minnesota and uh, very familiar with the destination we want to visit about today. We're going to talk about Upper Red Lake in in northern Minnesota. Will, welcome to Shack Talk. Thanks. Happy to be here. It's good to have you. Uh, we are we are uh, avid followers of you on social media, and and of course have had the opportunity to uh, to meet and visit a, a couple of times in person. Let's just uh, let's just start out with some basics. Let's talk a little bit about you and and kind of your experience with Upper Red Lake and uh, and and maybe just ice fishing in general. Well, so what uh, what brings you to this point um, of of you know kind of who you are in your career as an angler? Um, I mean, I I came up to uh, Bemidji when I was just out of high school and been at Bemidji State for the last four and a half years and. I've had the chance to fish a lot of lakes, not just around Bemidji, but all over, and especially Red Lake in particular, because a couple of my buddies, they have cabins actually on the lake, so whenever we had word that there was enough ice to walk on, we just go up and stay at their cabin and get to go walk out from the cabin and fish anytime we wanted. So we kind of had just access to wherever and whatever side of the lake we could go to, we got out, so... That's fantastic. And uh, as many listeners know, uh, Upper Red Lake is a very popular early ice destination. And uh, kind of doing a little of my homework, I, I was intrigued to find out that, you know, we've got Upper Red Lake, we've got Lower Red Lake. And, and in total, we're looking at just under 289,000 acres of water. It's a massive lake, largest inland body of water in the state of Minnesota. But when we talk about fishing, we have to realize that all of Lower Red Lake and 60% of Upper Red Lake is within the Red Lake Indian Reservation. So uh, Native Americans, uh, that reservation, um, and that's not open to public fishing. And so we're, we have the basically about 48,000 acres that's uh, under the jurisdiction of the Minnesota Department of Natural Resources where anglers can fish. And, you know, I mean, that's a huge body of water, but 48,000, the portion we can fish, that's still a large portion of water. And uh, give us your your kind of feel for what it's like as you head up on on a piece of water, a piece of ice that's that massive. 
I mean, it could be intimidating, you know, especially at a lake like that because it's 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 basically a bowl. You know, you have a couple little rock piles or little humps that maybe change within one to three feet or something like that. But it's kind of just a get out there and get away from people as far as you can, you know, to be safe. But still, you just want to get away from the noise and the crowds and find kind of your own fish. And once you figure that out and you keep doing it time after time, you kind of figure the lake out and it can pay off in a big way. So looking looking at the lake, the maximum depth of 15 feet. So, you know, that kind of plays into why it freezes up early, why it's some of the first fishable ice in the area, and, and you know, really how it's conducive to early season fishing. So what, uh, you mentioned getting away from crowds, but what's kind of the, the depth range that you target as you're headed up there and, and you're out on the ice and, and looking for those early season walleye? Um, right away, I'm probably looking at eight to ten feet right away because there is a pile of spot tail shiners that are in that lake, and they really congregate right at the first break early season, and that's where most of the fish are going to be because you have piles of bait fish, you're going to have piles of walleyes there with them, so you really don't have to walk too far out, especially on the south side, kind of where JR's Corner and Rogers Campground and everybody there is two of the most popular resorts there because you don't have to walk very far out to get deep. And and you talk about the first break. So you're targeting that eight to 10 foot range. Is it, is it a significant break? Are we coming off of four or five feet or is it, is it a more of a, a smaller subtle break? Yeah, it's more of a gradual break. There's some spots that are a little tighter that most people, there'll probably be more people fishing those, but I mean, there may be more fish there. There may not. A lot of times if you get more people conjugated one spot, they're just going to push the fish away anyway. So you just kind of have to hop around and keep drilling holes and keep staying mobile and figure it out. You know, and, and Upper Red Lake is really in what what is called by a lot of the locals the Big Bog. It's a, it's a huge area of peat. So uh, a peat bog. A lot of uh, a lot of tannins. I'm I'm assuming that the water on Upper Red Lake is stained. Is is that accurate or is or is it clear? Um, it is a little stained, but just early season, it's usually it it's dirty because the wind is. It's, I haven't had it where it's been somewhat clear in the last couple of years because it's been like ten to twenty mile an hour winds right before it freezes up, and it's usually the first two two and a half weeks. It's you can barely see your jig when you drop it in your hole, like maybe six inches of clarity, maybe sometimes. So a lot of times the best thing to do is wait like two weeks or so after it freezes up and you get a little bit more water clarity and you'll draw fish in from farther away because you're not going to catch a fish unless that fish is right underneath your hole because they won't be able to see your baits. So I'm guessing that most of the time you want to use some type of a search lure or something that's going to either be loud, make noise, put off a lot of vibration, maybe uh, color or light or something like that because you're trying to draw these fish in from this big area. Yeah, so my favorite is uh, a number four UV pink grip and wrap. That's my best bait that I've used up there, and I've gone through quite a few of them. And I've had to put new hooks on a couple of them, and they just tear them apart. 
So that and and that lure, the reason why that lure would work well for people that are trying to figure out what lures to use is that's going to give you vibration, that's going to give you the flash, and that's going to give you the sound. You know, it's it's going to give you all of those things to to try and draw those fish in. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So, Will, as you look at that, as you look at those types of uh, baits that are going to create that noise and that attraction, do you tip those? Do you also um, team that up with maybe a bobber rod uh, nearby, or or how do you fish that? Yeah, so I don't, for riprafts, I never tip them with bait just because it doesn't give them as good of an action. But I will have like a bobber rod or a tip up nearby just because sometimes you'll go up there, especially if it's like a cold front, you'll be jigging and they'll come in and they'll stare at you and they won't eat. And all of a sudden they'll hit your bobber rod instantly. So it's always good to for sure have a dead stick rod somewhere close near you and a jigging rod. That's a great one, two combination. You call them in, you get them in. If they're being finicky, you give them the option to have that finesse bait right next to it. So they can kind of take, you know, take their choice. You give them the, the, the buffet table and they'll they'll pull up and and eat what they're hungry for and what they prefer so uh great great technique the upper red lake has if you think back and and historically that has quite a quite a history mid to late 90s uh the walleye population up there in upper red lake crashed and and they actually closed walleye fishing for a seven year time frame it's it's amazing that uh there were no walleyes uh, allowed to be fished or, or harvested for seven years. And you talk about a success story because you look at it now and it is a, uh, it's a, not just an early ice destination uh, because of the ice forming early in the season, but it's an early ice destination because of the fact that it's a great fishery. And yeah. a, a, as you go up there and you look, what, uh, what can people expect in terms of, um, you know, when they buy a license, they go on up there to fish. What's what's their limit? What's the slot? What's the uh, kind of the regulations around that water? Yeah, there's the limit right now. You can have four fish, which is pretty generous, and only one of them can be over 17 inches. But I mean, fishing up there, it's you can have over 100 fish days sometimes because they're just so aggressive. And there are so many of them that you just keep picking through them. And, you know, you don't want to keep four fishing and be done right away. You just want to keep on fishing. So what's the, just, what, what's the size mix with those? If you're going to catch 100 fish, you know, you go out and, and have one of those days. It's a great day. Are there going to yeah. be a lot of 13-inchers or a lot of, a lot of them right at that maximum of the slot? Are there going to be very many overs? Is there a chance that you're going to get a, a nice, nice fish? Um, I would say the average that I've had out there would probably be 16 and a half inches for an average fish. But I'd say on top end, you might catch like a 22 or sometimes even a 24 incher. Okay. The biggest that we've ever got was, I think, 26 and a half one night. But other than that, you you do have a chance at a 22 to 24 incher for sure. So is Just, is there anything besides walleyes that you can expect to catch? I mean, I think all the bigger crappies are gone. I don't know if there's any smaller uh, ones. They're, that... they're coming back, actually. Oh, really? Every year after year, I, I've seen stories of people catching, you know, 30 to 40 to 50 crappies in a day, just getting on one school that will randomly come in. And years ago, 
I actually got the tail end of it. I would think I was in like third grade or something, and I have pictures <laughs> from Dad taking me up there, and it was just absolutely insane how big these fish were. But a couple of years ago, they were almost completely non-existent. But every year, they've kept coming back and back, and I think you're going to see a lot more big crappies starting to come out here in the next year or two. It's interesting because for our listeners who may not uh, also be aware of that history, when that walleye population crashed, when those walleye uh, were not present in the lake, that presented an opportunity. And naturally, these crappie filled in that biomass gap and they they uh, they repopulated the lake and there were, I mean, massive, massive schools of crappie and big crappie. It was nothing to go up there and, and you know, get a limit of, of cookie cutter, 12 inch crappie and, and a 14, 15, 16 incher was not, you wouldn't get it every trip, but it was not uncommon. And you'd hear that happen time and time again. And, um, and now slowly as the walleye have come back and, and they've taken more of the, um, the biomass or the space in the lake, um, the crappies kind of faded off. And, and as you said, they're, they're, coming back and finding their balance, which is really encouraging because catching big crappies through the ice is uh, is one of my favorite things to do, and I know a lot of folks uh, just love doing that. Yeah, exactly. It's it's just crazy, just the amount of stories, and it's from all over the lake too. It's not just like in one spot. It's coming from everywhere around the lake, from up by Beacon Harbor on the north side. You have Hillman's on the east side. You know, JR's on the south side, Rogers, I mean, they're coming from all over. So it's not like they're just in one area. They're, they're thick in there and they're going to be, they're going to keep going. Well, as we look at uh, folks considering Upper Red Lake as a destination in, in early ice season or really any time during the ice season, what, uh, what is your recommendation as far as how to find out, number one, what are the ice conditions? So getting a good ice report, but number two, um, you mentioned a few places there, but how would folks go about finding lodging, finding accommodations up in that area? Because quite honestly, um, it's not a heavily populated part of the state. It's north of Bemidji, it's south of Baudette, and it's kind of in that no man's land in between. And, and as I said before, in that big bog area, and there's just not a lot of uh, uh, infrastructure. So what are, what are your recommendations as far as that? Um, I mean, I would just, you know, just go on google or whatever and just search red lake and you'll have lots of different resorts and outfitters and stuff pop up because there are there's new ones that pop up every year and it's just crazy that that lake is just keeps putting these numbers out (laughs) for the amount of resorts and stuff but if i was going up there i would call you know either gr's corner or rogers or west wind and they're usually pretty pretty nice people and they'll tell you you know what they have open and or they'll recommend somebody else if they're full and everybody up there is pretty nice and laid back so it's it's real it's a real good atmosphere to go up there and fish and stay and bring the family and catch a few fish and maybe go back to the bar and have a drink or get some food and just have a have a good old-fashioned time you know that uh, that sounds like a great great atmosphere and uh, knowing that they cater to anglers and and giving us anglers a uh, a good experience is uh that's certainly encouraging and and that's obviously how they they make a living up there doing that as well so uh will any any other kind of final uh, tips thoughts suggestions on upper ed for those folks who might be heading up there even yet this year um i would bring uh a variety of baits because 
I mean, it changes constantly, but as long as you have something red or pink in your tackle box, you should be good. That's great, great information. That's a great tip. I'm I'm a fan of pink too, and uh, and red. I guess is not too far off on the spectrum. So uh, that's a that's a good idea to include that as well. Hey, well, I got a quick question for you before uh, before we finish up here. And I'm not sure if you actually know the answer to this or not. But what is the main forage in Red Lake? What what are all these fish eating? Are are, are they eating fathead minnows? Or are they eating? You know, uh, I believe spot tail shiners. Okay. You mark you mark clouds of them when you're fishing shallow early ice because they're just so concentrated. I mean, right along the shoreline, anywhere from five to ten feet, they're just. I mean, you can't go in a hole without marking a pile of bait fish that come through. And there's a lot of different bait shops that do get their bottle shiners for opener and stuff from Red Lake itself. That is encouraging. Encouraging to know that there's plenty of forage base there for those fish to continue to grow and. Uh, and, and be in a, in a healthy population state. So that is uh, fantastic. Will, um, I know that Scott and I follow you on social media, but for those listeners who may not uh, be aware of you, how can uh, how can folks watch some of your adventures and uh, uh, keep up to date with where you're at and what you're doing? Um, they can add me on Facebook, um, Will Papenfoos, or follow my page, Will Papenfoos Fishing. Otherwise, you can follow us at Fish Addictions TV on Fox Sports North, and Season 4 is kicking off here the first weekend in January. Otherwise, we have a bunch of videos from previous seasons on YouTube, but other than that, that's about that's about it on me. <laughs> well, we really appreciate you taking some time today to talk with us and uh, fill us in a little bit of with a little bit of your expertise and experience on Upper Red Lake. So thank you very much. Yeah, thanks for having me. Folks, thanks for sticking around. It's been a great, great uh, conversation here as we've been talking ice fishing uh, at the Shack Talk podcast. We want to thank Eskimo Ice Fishing Gear. Get Eskimo.com for their support of Shack Talk. Follow them on Facebook, Instagram, and as I said, GetEskimo.com. We love hearing from our listeners. Thank you to all of you who have sent in messages, personal messages, uh, Facebook messages. Uh, we appreciate that very much. We love the input. We love the positive feedback. We love the suggestions. Uh, don't hesitate to, to continue and keep that up. Uh, follow us at BrewerAgreOutdoors.com, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. Until next time, be safe and get out there and go fishing.